Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodrigue, and with me as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Doing well, Jordan. I can't believe we're halfway through the season. It's just crazy. I mean, I'm 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 glad we've made it this far. You didn't know how the NFL season was going to go, but can you believe it? There's only 8 games left in the regular season. I cannot believe it went this fast. Yeah, it feels like a rubber band almost. Like at the beginning when we were waiting and trying to figure out and see how things would actually happen and and take place this year, things just stretched and stretched and stretched and then all of a sudden as we got rolling the rubber band snapped and we were just sprinting all out. Um, and it's been really interesting now in a reflective way to look back and see. Um, and on a personal level, for me to kind of this this past week reflect on coming out here and, and moving across the country and coming out here to cover this team and being so grateful for this opportunity. Um, and at the same time, just being really as immersed as possible in, in every little detail of, about this football team but then the magnitude of what every team has dealt with this year and, and you know, our nation in general has dealt with has just been astounding through this time. And um, time time seems to take on a different structure, doesn't it? And so it was a good time for a bye week, I think. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. And, uh, you know, the Rams... A couple things, Jordan, that struck me. One, if they can just keep from playing games, they might end up in first place in the NFC West uh, after this past week where Seahawks lose, Cardinals lose, 49ers lose. So it was a, it was a great week for the Rams to be sitting on their couch, uh, that's for sure, to, to make up some ground. But the other thing that uh, struck me, Jordan, just from looking at the, the schedule and looking back, a year ago, exactly a year ago, the Rams were coming out of their bye week they had a five and three record, and we all know what happened. It didn't go so well over the last uh, eight games of the season. They ended up finishing four and four and ended up missing the playoffs. Now, a little bit of a different scenario this year because I think if they finish nine and seven, as they did last year, probably going to be a playoff team. Um, but uh, it just it's set up very interesting, Jordan. I know we want to talk about that. Maybe we want to go over some of our highlights and uh, top picks from uh, from the first half of the season. But uh, where should we go, Jordan? Yeah, so I think that there are a few notables that we want to cover. And if you guys missed last week's episode, we had Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders on, and we talked about the statistical notables of the Rams through their first eight games. And we also talked with Edge Sports and Frank Frigo, who does some great deep dive analytical work um, in, on the NFL and, and all sports in general for edge sports. And we went into decision-making and trends and game-winning chance and, and just all of these really fascinating things about the Rams to this point. Because they had eight games and then this gap and this break, it almost feels like, is it weird that it almost felt like the preseason to me? I mean, mm. I know that's not accurate. Yeah. But we didn't get a preseason this year. And so to me, it was very much an identity building period and a period of time where, okay, the things that you're doing well, you need to carry them through after the gap. And the things that you're not doing well, now is the time to fix them. Because as you said, Rich, the margin of error is so thin moving forward. But we didn't get to do our fun notables. So I was hoping we kind of got to do our fun notables. Are you down for that? I am. Okay. 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 So I'm going to, okay. So I'll start. All right. Who was the least surprising 
or what theme was the least surprising with the Los Angeles Rams this year? I'm going to say Andrew Whitworth, um, just because <laughs> like the rising and setting of the sun, uh, you can pretty much time anything on on Andrew Whitworth. I, it used to be a joke around the Rams facility that, that he would be there until he was 50, you know, kind of doing the same thing. But I'm not entirely unconvinced that, that he won't still be there on the other side of 40 uh, doing that. So uh, you can, uh, as, as much uncertainty as there has been in this world this year, the one constant that we can count on is Andrew Whitworth. So I would have to say he is my least surprising factor of, of the 2020 season so far. That's such a good answer. I think Andrew Whitworth in general is a great compass for people, to be yes. honest. <laughs> I mean, he could, he could be ex- a sundial. I mean, he's so big, <laughs> you can just stand him out in the middle of the field and you could literally keep time by him if you needed to. And he's tall enough, too, honestly. Yes. You yeah. could see him from from far away. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with you on that. I think that just the longevity uh, of what he's accomplished and, and the magnitude of what he's accomplished and he still wants to play. He was on with us before the bye week and he said as you know, as long as he's feeling good and the Rams will have him, he still wants to play. He hasn't really thought about what happens next or what happens after and and is just happy to be sustaining the level of play. And Rich, remember when we talked about we met with him at the beginning of the season which again feels like so long ago, but also like no time at all. So I maybe know. I need an Andrew Whitworth t- unit of measurement here. Yes. <laughs> but three we're measuring Whitworths. time. In, yeah, it was three Whitworths <laughs> ago. <laughs> we're measuring time in Whitworths. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. I, I'm sorry. That's, it's, uh, the, it's the bye week. It's we're, the bye week. Gonna, I'm just get a little I'm, little wild. I'm feeling a little loosey-goosey because yeah. of the bye week. That's just great. Uh, three Whitworths <laughs> of time ago, we spoke with Andrew Whitworth about another uh, sort of category uh, of measurement in which he's, he mentioned to us that every season he's lost a little bit of weight. And this is because, you know, he's felt really good and and he's lost, he's been he was down about five pounds from the year prior. And every season he's been in the league, he's lost a little bit of weight. So, you know... 10 years from now, when he's still playing, he's going to be concerningly skinny. Right. But, right. but at this point, you know, he he does it because it, it does keep his joints healthy. He's feeling good. Um, it, it keeps, you know, that added stress off of like things like his knees, his ankles, things like that. And he's moving very good. And so I think you're seeing that as as the Whitworths have passed. Um yes. you're you're starting to you're you're seeing that that's really been beneficial to him and I thought it was interesting rich how he at 38 years old said he has given very little thought to actually retiring yeah that's uh that's shocking because you know it was a it was a subject in the the Super Bowl year you know where people kind of thought well maybe this is it maybe and I'm honestly Jordan I'm not entirely convinced that if they if they had won that game that he maybe would have taken that as the opportunity to be like you know what can't go out any better. Gonna got my ring, you know. You can't you can't top that. So I don't know. I don't I don't put, put words in his mouth. I may be completely wrong about that, but um, it just makes me wonder if that if that game had gone in in the other direction, uh, whether that it would have changed um, his his mind at all. But it, it's so impressive, Jordan, to to see uh, what he does and, and his dedication to the team and, and to the league. But uh, what about yeah. you? What's your what's your least surprising uh, person or factor thus far? 
Yeah, re- real quick, Rich, before I get yeah. to that, the 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 thing that I noticed from covering a team full of old guys for the last four years in in Carolina, they were the oldest roster in the NFL for quite some time there. Um, nobody ever, even though they could have, and we're definitely thinking about it, nobody retired when they thought they had a shot the next year. Yeah. So Andrew, I think is it's more comfortable. This this to me seems telling, and maybe I'm an optimist, but to me it seems telling Andrew saying I don't want to retire. I, I'd like to keep playing. Um, I feel really good. I, I honestly think that in part, that is a little bit indicative of where he thinks the Rams projection is a year from now. Because those guys all back in Carolina, the Greg Olsons, the Ryan Khalils, the Thomas Davises, um, you know, the the Julius Peppers, like they, they just held on because they thought maybe this next year is going to be the year. And I think we have the roster to do it. Obviously, we know what happened over there. Don't think that's going to happen here. But, right, right. Um, you know, I, I think that that's um, a little bit of a reason, I think, to be optimistic. For me, least surprising, I will have to say Aaron Donald, because yeah. the number one rule and lesson and, you know, category and characteristic of covering this football team was Aaron Donald is good. <laughs> That's right. Very, very good at football. And from the very first day when I covered him at training camp and he laterally moved quicker than I could pan with my camera, yes. um, <laughs> that was something that was the least surprising to me. And, and obviously Aaron Donald is just having a really, really impressive year. Um, it, he, he is definitely on pace to match or surpass, um, you know, his his career year. Right now, he's at nine sacks. According to Pro Football Reference, he is at 22 pressures as well. And his missed tackle percentage, I mean, Rich, does it seem like he has a little something to prove? Missed tackle percentage, he has missed one tackle. One tackle. Wow. All That's, season so that, far. That is amazing. Um, yeah, and to be tied for the league lead in, in sacks. I mean, you do. You take it for granted having, having watched him uh, for, for so long. Um, but, uh, the consistency is just there and, uh, yeah, it's a, you really do have to watch it in person. It, it is something different when, when you see it up close, uh, to, to just see, uh, you know, his, his body type, how he looks and then the, the moves that he's able to make. I mean, it, it's really not something you can appreciate uh, until you see it up close. If we're measuring Aaron Donald in quantities of Whitworth. Yes. What is Aaron Donald in Whitworths? Oh, he's like he's like ten Whitworths. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is, which is probably its own. I think once you get to ten Whitworths, it's like a it's a something else. I don't I don't know what it is, but yeah, yeah, you have a you have a mega Whitworth. Yeah, at that exactly. Point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yes. So, Rich, what's the most surprising to you? Oh gosh, um, the, I think the fact that the defense has come along this this quickly already. Um, and I, I think we mentioned it last week. The the fact that if you were going to look at one unit and think it was going to be ahead of the curve and one was going to be behind the curve, you probably would have flipped it. You probably would have said the offense is ahead of the curve and the defense is behind the curve. Um, so I credit that to to everybody across the board. Uh, a difficult offseason, and it was for everybody in the NFL, not not just for the Rams, but to bring in a new coordinator uh, who had new ideas about how he wanted to play people, especially in that secondary. Um, it, it couldn't have been easy to try to learn all of that virtually without being able to get on the field at all for offseason programs. So credit Brandon Staley, uh, first of all, for being able to communicate that and doing it so well, and also a huge credit 
uh, to the players because if they don't absorb it the right way and and they don't uh, you know learn it in an unconventional way it doesn't really matter and and looks like they were really able to do that and uh, process it and turn it into to results on the field I honestly thought that just right about now is about the time where you would kind of see the, the defense coming around and be like, okay, they're starting to get this. They're starting to figure it out. So I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, again, quality of opponent probably factors in a little bit, but I, even so Jordan, I'm grading on a curve and I'm saying, even with the fact that they, you know, they ran through the NFC East and, and whatever else you want to say, uh, it doesn't, that doesn't matter to me. I still think this defense is much further ahead uh, than where I thought it would be at this point of the season. Yeah, you know, Rich, and I think part of that is because you can see conceptually what they're trying to do. And yeah. I think that's important because when you're – sometimes really, really good players can disguise not coming along conceptually, right? And and right. at times, I think maybe at the beginning of the year, you saw a little bit of that, right? Because they still – they had two weeks, basically, to install this brand-new defense. And something that I also want to make sure people listening know is that – the way that they rotated guys in, they could not afford to, because of the way that injuries hit them last year and because of COVID-19 this year, perhaps this hasn't happened so far yet to them, knock on wood, but they they had to operate with the assumption that maybe you will lose players at some point, right? Mm. And so they had to rotate all of their depth players in to installation reps. So it wasn't just first team. Normally you just see first and second team taking installation reps. It was everybody. Everybody was rotating through installation reps. And so that takes away, obviously, the full learning time for everybody because you're trying to distribute it more evenly through the dearth of the roster or through the depth of the roster. And that to me is really impressive, not just Brandon Staley, the entire defensive staff, and also Sean McVay, who Brandon Staley said basically has been really invested in this defense and also, um, you know, without, you know, obviously being too hands-on, like he gave Brandon Staley pretty much full autonomy to do what he was going to do with this defense and with this coaching staff, but obviously, but on also has been really, really invested in, in it. And to be able to install to that depth, which we saw proof of when Terrell Burgess went down and Nick Scott kind of came in and played lights out in his place, but and was not out of position at any point. And then also you're seeing conceptually what this defense can do. So yes, I think you're completely right in terms of grading on a little bit of a curve and strength of opponent does matter. And I think Seattle coming up this week is going to be just really a tough test for them and, and their toughest of the year so far. Absolutely. But also conceptually, you're seeing that they are where they want to be. And Kenny Young talked to us this week, said something that I thought was really, really interesting. He said that as they went through their self-scout of the first eight games in the defensive meetings, Brandon Staley actually picked out um, seven on seven drills where they were truly installing in training camp and said basically as a as a tangible proof of how far how much they've improved and the actual measurable proof of improvement over the last um you know eight or nine weeks. And he said that he just kind of saw light bulbs go off over the heads of of all of his teammates and and they really enjoyed that they did that because not only could they see, actual physical proof, but they could also see conceptual schematic proof of how they have evolved and how the defense is evolving sort of as we go week by week. And the, and the players, I think, should be absolutely applauded for that in terms of 
being ready and up for the challenge and not having that challenge be bigger than, you know, any one week or any one player and just really um, kind of unify in that regard. So I, I thought, I think that that's, that's really, really interesting. Um, I think I agree with you on most surprising. I mean, it was, it was easy to get it sort of conceptually when you, when I watched them in training camp and I saw the design of what they were trying to do. So I thought, okay, this could be really, really exciting. And, and, um, you know, a couple, I know a couple of our readers and our listeners asked me, isn't this supposed to be the most exciting defense or whatever, like halfway through the first part of the season. And, and I say, yes, I still say yes, because conceptually I see it, I see it where, where they, they had hoped it would be and where they were designing, um, in camp. And so Rich, I definitely agree with you on that one. I think that's, that's most surprising. Um, are you surprised? I love to do this to you because I feel like I tee you up for it because you were so right about this last season through the draft. Are you surprised at all about the offensive line? A little bit, yeah. I, I'll, I'll be honest there. I mean, I, I thought because I, I thought they had the pieces, and I think I said mm-hmm. this last year, and I, I think I likened it to kind of a puzzle. Like, I thought they had the pieces. I just didn't know whether they'd be able to put it all together. And then, it, again, talking about not having that offseason program, I, I thought that would be a challenge just because I kind of figured that would be the big time for them to really kind of get that chemistry and, and that, uh, you know, continuity together. Um, but, I, you know, I think they made a good decision by uh, basically basically keeping it as intact as, as possible. Um, and uh, credit really to David Edwards stepping in. I, I think that's a big part of it. Maybe we haven't talked about that uh, mm-hmm. enough is uh, his ability to step in and uh, play well. I, I thought Austin Blythe would do well at center. I know people had questions uh, about him. Um, I thought Rob Havenstein deserved another chance at, at right tackle. I, th- the way things went last year, not only for him, but for the whole line, uh, I, di- I didn't think it was fair to just cast him aside uh, for just because of that, you know, kind of short uh, sample size. So a-, a little bit of a surprise just because I, I didn't know com- coming out of the gate whether or not they would have that continuity um, that they needed. But uh, credit those guys for, for doing a good job. And uh, they've been able to stay healthy, too, other than the note boom. Uh, obviously that that injury was big, but uh, they've been able to have really, really good continuity uh, game in and game out. And that is just so important. So um, yeah, I, I think I'm a little surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I will add to most surprising something that you touched on. Yes, I am surprised to see this much because the line is playing well. I, I remain surprised to see this much inconsistency with offensive production. Um, so, so yeah, I think that that falls under the category, you know, that actually was going to be my most surprising. And then Sean McVay came out and told us this week that he started watching this is us over the bye week. And that, that I think surpassed, surpassed in my most surprising, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) I really need a, a, a a live cam of him watching. Uh, I, I just, it's hard for me to picture Sean just sitting on the couch, like watching this very emotional, you know. Uh, series, but uh, I don't know. I guess that's what the bye week does to you, huh? Yeah, you know, I asked him, "Hey, Sean, what'd you do during your bye week?" And he basically said, "I watched tape and I watched This Is Us." Yeah. <laughs> and he said it was emotional. I liked it. I was like, "What?" <laughs> I, I liked your. Uh, Who is this person? <laughs> I liked your tweet also, which was something along the lines of that he 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 thought it was emotional and he liked it, and you made sure to note that he he was talking about This Is Us and not the game tape. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, an important discrepancy to make, I yes, believe. Yes, yes. Although Rams fans, I'm sure it's both of them have brought to, brought them to tears uh, at different yeah. points. So uh, maybe maybe there's a, a, a straight line there somewhere. 
Especially if you have Daryl Henderson on your fantasy football roster oh, or Cam Akers. And I do. I do. And you do. Yes. Not to, not to rub it in, but <laughs> you know. Um, Rich, who is your non-Aaron Donald MVP so far this season? Oh, gosh. Of the entire team? Yes. That is a very good question. I think I would have to say Jalen Ramsey. Um, and that's probably a little bit of an easy one. Um, I, I don't think I would pick anybody on offense. I have to be honest. Um, although I, I guess you could make an argument for Andrew Whitworth. You could yeah. maybe make an argument for Cooper Cup, uh, given uh, you know the, the big plays that he's made, uh, particularly in those those tough, tight situations that he's known so uh, so well for uh, you know producing in. Uh, but uh, you have to look at the defense. I mean, the fact that they're five and three right now, I, I think you have to attribute um, the the lion's share of that to how well the defense has played. And and if you're telling me Jordan that I can't pick Aaron Donald, you're tying. Uh, one and a half hands behind my back. Um, one and I, a half Whitworths. One, one and a half yes. Whitworths. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I have to go with Jalen Ramsey. I mean, we didn't. Uh, we we heard a lot about how he might fit into this defense. We we didn't know. It sounded kind of exotic, kind of interesting. Uh, what Brandon Staley planned to do with him, and and then when you see it, uh, you, you you figure it out pretty quick. You see exactly what Brandon Staley was thinking. And uh, what he wanted to do as soon as he came in. So it's not just Jalen. It's uh, what he does, but what it allows the rest of that defense to do. And uh, I don't know whether there's anybody else uh, who, who you could do that with. Again, I, I think I mentioned last week and, uh, you know, Marcus Peters, look, he had, a, he had another great interception this past week. Marcus Peters plays a great game. But I don't know whether you'd be able to do what you're doing with Jalen Ramsey if you still had Marcus Peters in that spot. So uh, Rams gave up a lot to get Jalen Ramsey. I know that that's been debated. It'll still be debated. Uh, but the fact that he has played so well and the fact that that defense has kind of been able to be built around him and Aaron Donald, of course, uh, I think is, is a testament to, to how well Jalen's played. Yeah, I totally agree with you on Jalen. You know, I, I was really, really excited when I started seeing them install that star package in camp. And I remember talking to you about how crazy I was going because we weren't, we obviously couldn't report specifically on scheme, right? And what I think something really smart that they did was they, they knew that they were at some point going to put Jalen Ramsey into the slot as needed. Okay. So it's not obviously, he's not always there. He's playing the highest percentage of his snaps defensively in that star position, but it's as needed. So he can also move back out to the outside as needed, depending on what the matchup is and situation and whether they like the look, if they're going to send him on a blitz, if he, they need him to help and run support, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, Brandon Staley said something interesting, and ironically, we were asking about, is Aaron Donald making a case for Dep- Defensive Player of the Year, which the answer should have been yes, duh. But also, he answered a little bit more um, politically, I think. So so he said yes, and also said something interesting that I think applies to Jalen as well. And that the person who gets that award, it should not just be their statistics, but it should also be how they set up the rest of the success for their team and how other teams have to plan away from them. So not only do you obviously have Aaron Donald's um, up front doing that and always doing that. But now you have Jalen Ramsey, who is such an integral part of your scheme in that regard, where he is now taking up so much more space on a field than if you were just going to always keep him on the outside and have him as, you know, the outside corner. And I think that that is, um, 
really, really important in terms of the overall success of the defense. You know, 33 targets, uh, allowing about 50% of those to be completed, which is his lowest of his career, by the way. And he's blitzing more than he has um, since 2018 when it first started being measured for, uh, for blitzes. He's tackling really well. He's already on pace to totally eclipse his, his tackle. His tackle mark has 21 so far in run support. Obviously, that's it's really important and at times, as we see, puts on a clinic in that regard. Averaging the lowest of his career uh, of, of basically yards attempted per completion – um, and, and I think that's really, really important. He's having a really great year, and it's also something he's enjoying is being set up for success in that scheme. And I think that is, um, I think that's really, really important. I would say a contender um, for that as well. Like, let's say if we were going to tie two Whitworths behind your back and say, okay, you can't pick Jalen Ramsey, and instead you have to pick, uh, and you can't pick Aaron Donald, who mm-hmm. would your MVP be? And I would say Darius Williams. Because when Jalen is in the slot, Darius Williams has to go to the outside and is having a tremendous season. Two interceptions, 31 targets, which is almost as as much as Jalen has gotten. And Jalen is around the ball a lot more often because he's playing in the slot, allowing just 54.8% of those completions, allowing, and, and get this, because he is playing on the outside, allowing just seven and a half yards per target. That is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, if we were, uh, if we were going to expand the list and and do like an unsung hero, I don't think there's any question. It would be, it would be Darius Williams. And uh, the reason that you, if you're Brandon Staley, you're you're the Rams, you feel so comfortable doing what you do with Jalen Ramsey uh, is because you do have a Darius Williams there and you do have a Troy Hill there too. Uh, yeah. who, who can do those things. So uh, it, it's it's quite a story. I mean, it was, <laughs> I, I've said this before, but, you know, your predecessor on the on the beat of Vinny Bonsignor, I mean, he was he was the guy who was, you know, texting me, telling me, like, you got you to look at this Darius Williams kid. And I'm like, Darius, the, you mean the little guy? Like, he, the, the little quarterback? And then the more <laughs> you watch him, it's like, well, he doesn't he doesn't play that way. And uh, the, the number of big plays he's he's made already, and uh, just that consistency, so so hard to do. I mean, it's you can you can come up with the big plays every now and then, but but to be that consistent, uh, which shows up in those in those numbers that you just cited, Jordan, uh, it, that's so impressive for for a young guy who's never really been in a in a role this big before. So yeah, I I, I wrote him down too uh, on my list, and uh, absolutely. Uh, again, if you were gonna say like. Uh, unsung or most inspirational or, or whatever you want to call it. Right. I, I think uh, he's a clear choice for that one. Yeah, I think um, it's also a testament to – now, you do see Brandon Staley's experience as a secondary coach. You see that mark all over this defense because he is really invested in the secondary in terms of what he can do with his safeties, what he can do with the the cornerbacks, how he can rotate everybody around and play all sorts of different sub packages and and disguise different things and having John Johnson calling signals instead of the middle linebacker. Um, you know, you can definitely see that. However, I also think that in, if we're talking unsung heroes, I think that the defensive back staff, coaching staff also deserves a, a shout out in terms of that is so complicated how to move all of those pieces around. And and when you watched him in training camp, just seeing how fast they were rotating. So Coach Pleasant and Coach Evero and um, Coach Cooley, 
I think deserve a, sh- a shout out as well because it just to install that kind of scheme on the back end um, and then have them you know contribute to being one of the top defenses in the NFL through the first eight games. I think um, yeah. 10 Whitworths all around, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. You, you can't put it on one. It, it really is a shared um, a kind of success. And, uh, you know, some of those guys have been there for a while, both the players and the coaches. Um, so give them credit for, for having that culture in place um, to where they can pull off something like this. But uh, still not easy and, and still ahead of, of where I thought they were going to be. But, uh, of course, the, the bigger bigger challenges, the biggest challenges mm-hmm. are, uh, are still to come for that group. Okay, so – I know we kind of touched on this with unsung heroes maybe, but who do you think is the most improved? The most improved. That's a very good question. Um, I don't know. Can I let you go first? Yeah. And, but it's hard for me because I wasn't, I wasn't here. So yeah, I'm kind of going okay. off of, so, but I'm still, I I think offensive line from 2019, I think that they have made a case for themselves, but a lot of that too is consistency, continuity w- alongside each other. Um, and I think it's okay to count guys who came back from injury. So I like what Daryl Henderson's doing early on. Um, I like how hard he runs and how explosive he is through the gap. I think he should be getting the ball more. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I also think that John Johnson, obviously coming back from injury, I think John Johnson has made such a case for himself in terms of how valuable he is um, in commanding a defense. And that's something that he, and when I say most improved, I think John Johnson has always had the personality where he could do that, but coming in straight off an injury where you had not played the year before, and then also you're coming in and it's a completely new system and your defensive coordinator turns to you and says, okay, man, you're going to be calling signals. So not only do you have to know where you're going to be at all times, you have to know where every other person on this defense is going to be at all times right. and and get them into their position. Oh, and usually this job goes to someone who's much closer to the line of scrimmage than you. <laughs> right. You know, so I think it's I think that that is testament to most improved and and I guess improved is maybe the wrong word, but um I guess he falls under one of those unsung hero categories, but maybe we can maybe we can meld the two categories, <laughs> you know, now that we're going so positionless on defense. That's right. Um, you know, we, we can maybe meld those two categories together. Yeah, I, I think Henderson's a good pick. Um, in particular, John, John Johnson, because of the, the new role that, that he's um, that he's in. Uh, it, it's a little bit harder with some of the guys like. I, I feel like maybe some people would say Austin Blythe, but I, I feel like his transition started last year uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the second half of last year where he made that improvement. And it's just kind of transitioned over to this year. I'd say the same thing, same thing about Troy Hill, um, where that that really to me started when he when he took over that starting job last year. And he's just kind of maintained that um, Micah Kaiser is a name that, that comes to mind. But that's a hard one because we didn't see him at all last year. And so mm-hmm. I'm only really basing that off of uh, training camp w- before he ended up having that that big pectoral injury. Uh, but for him to step in the, the way that he has um, as, a, as a you know starter for the first time, I, I find that very impressive. It's it's hard for me to think back. You know, you talk about, uh, you know, all the all the Whitworths ago, uh, 20, 2019 <laughs> training camp. I can I have a vague re- remembrance. It's like being in kindergarten where you kind of have these like, you know, screenshots in your mind of what it was like. I, I have a vague memory of being in at UC Irvine and, and watching uh, Micah Kaiser. 
but uh, he's one who stands out to me just in knowing how how important uh, that 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 job uh, was too. But I, I like the John Johnson pick. I, I like the uh, Daryl Henderson pick because um, you know nobody really knew exactly what to expect of him, and yet um, he's been one of the driving engines certainly uh, of that Rams offense. This one might be a little bit easier, and let me um, establish the qualifying measurements okay. too. So we're 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 saying between Whitworth 1 and Whitworth 8. So okay. the start of the season to now. Okay. Who is sliding? <laughs> well, I, I guess we can't use the kickers anymore, so that one's out. You know what? You could. I wouldn't <laughs> well, be mad that, at that, it. That's a cop out. <laughs> um, honestly, I'd, I'd have to say Jared Goff, um, yeah. you know, based on where things started in, in the first couple games. And, and again, I'll, I'll attach a – a little bit of an asterisk to that because I, I think it goes a little bit hand in hand with Sean McVay and and, and what they do. But um, you know, I'll, I'll own it. You know, go back to the first two or three podcasts or whatever, and I think we were saying a lot of uh, glowing things about Jared Goff and the pro- progress that he had made and the things that he was able to do uh, on the field. I, I I still would argue that he's he's taking too much criticism, but that's just how it goes with Jared Goff. I mean, as soon as things start to go a little bit sideways, then, you know, everybody just just jumps on the pile, which I understand. It's been five years. I, I understand it's always going to be that way. Uh, but uh, it, it's just not acceptable. I mean, the, the game that he had uh, in Miami is, is not acceptable for your for your leader, for your starting quarterback. And uh, even before that, you'd, you'd seen some signs of, of a little bit of a drop off. So, uh, again, I think it goes hand in hand. Uh, I would say Sean McVay's play calling uh, needs to needs to improve there uh, and, you know, helping Jared out. But uh, just purely, uh, you know, again, take him out of, of any other equation, you know, put him in a vacuum. And uh, it, the play has just not been there over the last, uh, you know, most of the last couple of weeks here. Yeah, you know, I I completely agree with you. Other than kickers, because I yes. I will take that cop out because <laughs> it's been a journey <laughs> since training camp. Um, but but you know, I I do agree with you on Jared. I and I agree with you on it being twofold, going hand in hand sometimes with with Sean as well. But you know, I I also think that there is the ownership that they talked about through the first part of the season and bringing in Kevin O'Connell to be able to help develop Jared and take that next step forward. And at first it did really look like that. I mean, mm-hmm. the dude is activated. He is moving through his, his reads really well. He is stepping up the pocket when he needs to, they're getting a ton of boot protection, which obviously we know helps him and and he loves to, to operate in, um, he's navigating chaos, had the best game, I think, still so far of this season against the Buffalo Bills in that period of time where they were mounting a comeback. And that was under pressure as well. And so, you know, I think that that there is that Jared that we've seen. And then we've also seen absolute rock bottom Miami Dolphins performance, Jared Goff. Yeah. And what I think Rams fans can hope for is that that was rock bottom, that there is not going to be another level downstairs. <laughs> you know, right. I, I think that Rams fans hope that. And and in a Sean McVay team, I would be extremely surprised if there was a level lower than what we saw against Miami in terms of just not being able to counter the blitz, not really seeming like he knew what he was seeing, not checking into different things, um, obviously with Sean as well, not forcing the ball to be run 
regardless of who makes the final decision at the line of scrimmage, not forcing that through as a right. um, un- unshakable decision. Um, you know, just different different things in that regard. I think that that there there were some real positives to be taken from some of the tougher contests earlier in the season from Jared. The major thing here is the turnovers. Yeah. Not taking the sack when he needs to and then turning over the football. Those were the major concerns. I did see a stat that Seattle tried to cover zero blitz the Bills more often than they ever have another team this season. It was on something like 11% of Josh Allen's dropbacks or something like that, something similar. And pardon me if I'm not getting it exactly right. But that, right. you know, obviously that's not the secondary that should be doing that. But at the same time, if you can't figure out a way to beat those things, like the Rams showed that they were not able to do against Miami and Jared Goff's passer rating, by the way, when blitzers increase from five to six to seven, even to eight, his, his passer rating just freaking plummets, just plummets right. into the sixties. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you, you need to be able to beat those things. You need to not only have outlets, I would like to see more running backs, for example, use the safety valves. I'd like to see them get Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson in space as needed. Um, I'd like to see the same sort of things that sh- make a Sean McVay offense very, very good, um, operated more consistently. And I think all of those things help Jared Goff, but can he help himself is now, I think, the question of the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Because th- there's certain things, like you said, there's certain things as a quarterback you can control and there's certain things you can't sometimes. And, you know, the one thing that you can always control is where you put the ball and, and the decisions that you make, you know, before the, before you release it. And to have those to have those multiple interception games, especially, are, are what really, really kills you. And that was a great thing about Jared. I, I just was was glancing at it here. 2017 and 2018, you know, obviously the, the high marks of, of Jared's career to this point, those those two seasons, he only had three games with, with multiple interceptions, two or more. And uh, last year he had five. Uh, he had five multi-interception games, which really, to me, again, independent of any, independent of the line, of the running game, of whatever McVay is doing, that's that's a number that I always look at. And uh, to, for him to have had two in that Miami game is a little bit of a red flag. Um, he's at six for the season, so he's on pace for twelve. He had sixteen last year, so bringing it down a little bit. But again, where we, where I think, where you started with the with the premise of your question was, you know, from from you know one to from week one to week eight, where where is it kind of sliding? Right. And, and I think it's fair to say that uh, it, it is sliding with Jared, and that he does need to now get that going back in the other direction uh, from from weeks nine to week sixteen. This is kind of I'm putting you on the spot here, Rich. Oh boy. <laughs> It's not about kickers, so oh, okay. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, so if you can think back through the last 900 years of the last few weeks of the season, <laughs> yeah. um, what has been to you the most enjoyable moment that you've seen out of this Rams team, whether it's on the field, <laughs> off the field, just something that you just thought, you know what, 2020, I needed that. Um, Johnny Hecker's celebrations, I, I think would have to be the answer. What was that? Was that two weeks ago now? I, I think it was. Um, and, uh, just, you know, anybody, and I know we have a lot of longtime Rams fans here and they, they know Johnny, he's, you know, one of the longest tenured, 
uh, players on the team. And um, you think you don't think of your punter sometimes as being such an integral part of the of the team, but but he really is. And uh, to to see him having such a good time out there and to see his teammates really respond to him in that way. You might think like, well, who's going to get fired up by a punter? You know, mm-hmm. like who's going to who's going to be like, yeah, we really coffin cornered that one, you know, but yet the Rams really do respond to that. And I think that's a testament uh, to the respect that they have for Johnny and also how much they they uh, admire him. Uh, as a teammate. So I, I don't know why that grabbed me, but as soon as you asked that question, but that was the first image I had in my head was him doing like the little, what was he doing? Like a windmill, windmill celebration. Oh yeah, air uh, guitar, windmill. Air oh, guitar, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, and that was the first thing that popped into my mind was just like, that was the, the, the most joy uh, that, that I remember uh, anybody, uh, you know, showing on the football field. So that would be one. And then, uh, you know, a- again, uh, the first touchdown at SoFi Stadium, very cool to, to see that, you know, after the after the journey for years and, and uh, waiting for that th- thing to open uh, to, to see it actually happen was was very cool. But I, I got to go with uh, with Johnny Hecker. Yeah, I liked how he dedicated one of those punts to Troy Hill's new baby. There you go. Yeah. yeah. The mic up. If you guys haven't watched the mic up session with Johnny Hecker, it is a must watch. Uh, just yeah. fantastic stuff. Um, I don't know if I can pick one moment, Rich, but I can certainly tell you a couple. One of them was when uh, an opposing team had hoped that Aaron Donald missed the bus. <laughs> and uh, Aaron Donald to to just like just phenomenal straight faced very dry incidentally informed us that he has never missed a bus on the a day in his life <laughs> yeah i believe that that was really great yeah. and then another one that i thought was really funny was um Sean McVay, you know, we're always searching for how he's innovating himself because he's very sort of open about the fact that he's always improving and always trying to grow and one thing that i I really thought was was funny was when he you know we're all on zoom so we're on mute when we can't when we're not talking and Sean McVay was trying to explain how he went about the the team meetings in the spring and in the summer and and kind of the journey from there and he he mentioned that it was like dead silent on the calls after he would make his jokes and one of the reporters was like you're making jokes and he goes hey I'm damn funny. (laughs) And then because we're on Zoom, after he said that, complete silence. (laughs) So now, as you guys will probably notice, that happened about a quarter of a Whitworth through the season. And now, as you guys will notice, in every Monday press conference, he'll try to drop like a joke or two on us. Uh Um, I think that This Is Us was this week's. And then he's, he's had some. But then he made a joke last week about trading Aaron Donald before the deadline. And nobody, yes. we're, again, we're on Zoom. Nobody said anything. So he goes, that's a joke. <laughs> this is his new challenge. He's taken up. Uh, he's, he's going to try to make you guys laugh at some point. Just fantastic. But yeah. it's been it's been really enjoyable. Okay, what's been your most cringeworthy, if you can even think of it? Oh, gosh. That's a tough one. Um, cringeworthy. Um I don't know that I have one. I mean, it's it's just been wild to see the empty stadiums, you know, and and to yeah. hear like the, 
you know, like the, the, the pump it up music, you know, and like trying to get everybody fired up. And it's like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know the balance there. I mean, do the players appreciate that? You know, would they rather just kind of play with, without all the, the PA noise and, and the, the DJs and all that stuff? I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it's just a weird thing, but I don't know whether I have any real cringe uh, moments. Do you, do you, do you have one? Yes, and okay. I don't want to pile on him because oh. I obviously feel terrible that Poor Sean. you know his his season sort of unfolded the way that it did. But Samuel oh. Sloman, the just the low kicks, yeah. the low kicks every single time. You know, it was really interesting to feel your entire body clench up every time you saw it because you're just thinking, "Oh no, is that the one? Is right. that the one where?" he gets, you know, this is the last kick that he makes and all this stuff. And you started really tracking it. And I think that was, that was the one of the more, the one of the more cringeworthy moments for me. Um, and something that I think was like in between was really, and not cringeworthy, but more so interesting was immersing myself in the conversation about uniforms. And I'm surprised you didn't say that that was your... <laughs> Most enjoyable moment, Rich. I'm very uh, surprised that you yeah, I just yeah, I thought that went without saying. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I get it. We've yeah, we've been over it before. But yeah, the uh, I I do. I hope I don't get in trouble. Rams fans know I love them. But to to even even to this day to see like you know, the, the Rams make a, a post or something on Instagram and like the next five comments are like, change the logo. It's like, guys, like <laughs> it's So that's time. your cringeworthy. Those are your cringeworthy moments when uh, you see yeah. those comments. And it, yeah. And I, again, I still say I get it. I understand it. And yeah. I, I was, I, you know, I think I was on record during the, that podcast saying, Hey, if you don't, if you don't like it, make you make your voices known. So I'm not, I'm not going back on that, but at some point it's like, okay, you know, it doesn't, can we take a small break? Can we just maybe take a little bit of a timeout and uh, and and not make everything about the about the logos? But yeah, well, fast forwarding several Whitworths into the future here. Yes. Okay, this stretch is brutal. I don't, you know, I I, I don't yeah. care that the 49ers are really beat up. The Patriots are sort of on a slide. I know the Jets are coming up. Yes. Tampa Bay did not look good um, on Monday night, or was that yeah on Sunday night? Yeah. Um, you know, I get all that. I I think this is a just a brutal stretch coming up here. It is. There's no question about it, and the, the way that it was set up. And I was thinking about this, Jordan, when you mentioned that it's how it kind of seemed like the preseason, and I had not thought of it that way. I thought it was a brilliant thing to say, and I think a lot of it was because you know, those games just weren't all that, they didn't seem like they were very high stakes games when you talk no. about playing, uh, you know, Philadelphia and the Giants and Washington. I mean, th those almost seem like kind of warm up games. But then you look at the second half of the season and you have to play Seattle twice. You have to play Arizona twice. Um, you, you get and say what you want about Tampa Bay, but you still have to go there and uh, and, and play them. New England comes in here and you, you've got to play face whatever Bill Belichick is is going to dial up. So this really does kind of feel like the real season now. Um, and, and maybe that's not fair uh, because, you know, every game is just as important. But uh, given what's coming up uh, every single week now is, is going to be such an important game. Yeah. And the margin of error, as Sean keeps repeating and, and said again this week, the margin of error is so slim at this point because, you know, the, the NFC West and also the NFC in general 
is so the 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 difference in good teams and bad teams is so small right now. Yeah. And it's it's crazy that you know sun this upcoming Sunday the Rams and the Seahawks are going to be playing for first place in the NFC West, but even that does not feel like such a huge whoever wins that game does not feel like they have such a huge gap on the other teams. Right. I mean, even the 49ers who are so banged up you just can never, you just never know what some of these coaches and especially these players and assistant coaches are going to pull out. And this whole division just cannibalizes itself um, constantly. And so, you know, all of these notables that we talked about, guys, it leads up to this very important point. You can't have a such a wide range of from the good moments to the bad moments. You have to just be consistent all the way through. And I really think that the most consistent team, and I would say probably with this Rams offense, the most consistency will, I think, take them down the stretch the way that they need to go. Yeah, I, I think that's that's so important. And, uh, we, you know, we saw it last year. The Rams offense started to kind of catch its stride at the, at the second half of of last season. It was pretty late. And, and again, because, uh, you know, they, they weren't going to make the playoffs with a nine and seven record, it didn't end up mattering. But they, but they have to show that they have to get better. Uh, it, what what they've done over these last eight games. I mean, I know I've talked to people on on Twitter, social media. Oh, five and three, five and three is good. But it's you, I'm I'm sorry, Joe. Maybe you disagree, but I I think if you play, if you're the Rams and you play the exact same way that you played over the past eight games, and you play the, that exact same way over the next eight games. I don't think your fans are going to be happy. I I don't think you are going to want that. So, uh, you know, I got into, I did a a podcast last week where I said, oh, you know, I thought that the Rams were a little bit disappointing. And I had somebody ask me about that. Well, how can you say disappointing? And and I say that in the sense of, well, it's it's just the level of play. Like it doesn't, you know, the the record to me doesn't matter so much as, as how they're playing and kind of projecting that out. And I, I don't know. I, I'm look, I'm welcome to to arguments, to disagreements. But if you think the Rams can play the way across the board, the way they played in the first half, and you think that's going to translate well to two games against Seattle and two games against Arizona and things like that, then I, I guess we just disagree. Well, I don't think I could have said it any Whitworth any more Whitworths than you did just now. <laughs> you, you give me a, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Rich, yeah. on, on all of those points. And, and it's, it's really going to be fascinating because, you know, November is identity establishment time. What you do in November either carries you down the stretch into the postseason or it doesn't. It's very rare that you can recover from inconsistencies and mistakes that you make in November in December especially in a division like this. Yep. And so I absolutely agree with you. And and they cannot do the same things that they did in this first part of the stretch. And I wonder how much time is spent during this week. Because like we said, time is moving weird in this year and in this time that's, you know, at times frightening and at times strange and and different. Time is moving differently and, and it's very weird. And so I wonder if they are at once compartmentalizing obviously using the lessons that they can glean from that time, but in the same manner that they think of a preseason, compartmentalizing that away as a building block toward what this actual stretch will be. Yeah, there's no question about it. And you're right. And and to look at that, uh, you talk about November. Last year, the, the dates are a little bit off, but the Rams were off the first week of, of November, and then they had three games, and they went one and two. 
And, and that, that kills you right there because what, mm-hmm. what they spend their whole December doing is trying desperately to play catch up. And uh, then the pressure only increases and you make more mistakes because you're trying to play perfect and, and that just doesn't work. So uh, such a great way to put it, Jordan, that uh, this month, again, three games uh, in, in November, um, Seattle, we, we don't know what's going to happen there. They've been the class of the uh, really the class of the NFC for the first part of the season. And now they've lost two of their last three. Uh, Tampa Bay, again, looks a little bit wobbly based on what New Orleans just just did to them. And then who knows what San Francisco is going to look like in in, in three weeks. So uh, those are three really important games. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's it'll be fascinating to see. The, the only thing that I look at, Jordan, from a – well, not the only thing from a positive side, but maybe the biggest thing from the positive side is the travel gets a lot easier. And I, yeah. don't, I don't think people should underestimate what that means when you talk about in the first – uh, eight games of the season, the Rams had to make, well, they had to make four very long road trips. They had to make five total, um, but four of them were, were East Coast trips. And now after the bye week, uh, there's the Tampa Bay game, which is actually a Monday night game. So there's an extra day built in there, which is a, a good thing for the Rams. And then other than that, the only other trips are to Arizona and Seattle, um, which are very short and very kind of normal trips. So uh, if you look at it from that perspective, that's one thing where you can definitely go, okay, you know, at least from a physical standpoint, from a body standpoint, it's not going to be as grueling. The opponents are going to get tougher, but mm-hmm. the the actual kind of mileage that you have to put on your body and changing time zones and all that stuff, uh, that part is going to get easier. Well, there's a trade-off. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What a trade-off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the in just their East Coast trips in the first eight games of the season, the Rams traveled almost eleven thousand miles. And wow. that's not even counting the trip to San Francisco. It's just counting their East Coast trips to Philly, Buffalo, Washington, and Miami. And that is just astound that's so that is a lot of travel. And obviously two of those were back to back weeks as well. Right. So very, very interesting to see what they're going to do next. A couple injury notes, or actually great news, guys, non-injury notes wow. as we um, start to take you guys out this week. Jordan Fuller, rookie safety, starting safety, although they're going to have to sort of re-scheme a little bit, I think, um, as the week continues because Taylor Rapp has been playing really, really well. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Fuller is expected to be back. I could see a lot of extra defensive backs packaged to complement uh, to use Taylor Rapp more as a compliment to the inside linebackers, um, that would also kind of get uh, allow Jordan Fuller to play back in sort of that center field role that he likes to play in and also keep John Johnson on the field uh, as he has been for 100% of the defensive snaps so far this season. Also, Ashawn Robinson is finally going to make his long-awaited Rams debut. Um, and I think Rams fans are really, really excited to see what he can bring to this defensive front. Sean McVay said this week that he looks really good. Um, and it, you know, Oboe is expected to be back, I think next week, that's kind of the assumption that I had put on it, uh, after learning of his, his elbow surgery earlier this season. And at that point, the Rams are, are, you know, even even at this point, the Rams have a healthy two deep, but then in the next couple of weeks, they're expected to have um, a, a very healthy two deep. So you can't ask for a lot better than that coming out of your bye week. Um, yeah. And I think that's also a big reason why they didn't, you know, one of the many reasons why they didn't do anything at the trade deadline, obviously among them being hoarding pick capital. But the fact that they were going to get some really key players back after the bye, I think made this sort of the the timing of this bye week extremely special for them and, and obviously very valuable. 
Yeah, there, there's no question that that's that shouldn't be underrated, especially when you talk about getting into the the second half of the season. And yeah, just I mean, as you were talking there, Jordan, it, it occurred to me. I mean, we've been I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I've been stressing some some negatives, but but really, all everything is still there in front of the Rams. Uh, they're not they're five and three right now, which I think puts them if the playoffs were to start right now, uh, they'd be seventh in in the conference. The best teams in the NFC are six and two right now. They are one game behind the two best teams in the NFC. So that's the good thing. If you want to look at it from the flip side, you can say, yeah, they haven't, maybe they've underachieved, maybe the way they've played, you know, you don't want to see duplicated in the second half. But by no means are they behind the eight ball. By no means are they in a situation where like, uh uh-oh, you know, you're really going to have to go like seven and one over the last eight games just to do something here. Uh, It's it's going to be a fascinating kind of, uh, you know, push and pull over these last eight games. If you can stay healthy, if you can get some of these guys back who you who you just mentioned, uh, you just need to put yourself in position this year because it's such a strange season and uh, maybe more than ever, if, if you can just get yourself into the playoffs and if you can have a healthy roster, a relatively healthy roster, I really think that's that's all you can ask for. So I, I, I can't wait to see how some of these uh, some of these races uh, shake out, especially mm-hmm. in, in this division. Uh, it, it's it's going to be fascinating and, and really kind of cool to, to see it play out from week to week. Yeah, definitely agree with you, Rich. You guys are listening to the 11 Personnel Podcast featuring myself, Jordan Rodrigue, and the wonderful Rich Hammond. We are on Twitter at Jordan Rodrigue and at Rich underscore Hammond. And you can find 11 Personnel wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And at that point, we would love it if you would give us a five-star rating and a review. We read everything you guys write to us, and we really, really appreciate all the feedback that we get. And also, Rich, if you... If you subscribe to the 11 Personnel Podcast or theathletic.com via the 11 Personnel Podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world. What's that? You get a great discount. A great discount. Absolutely. And that's not only that, but you get to read all of Jordan's great work um, on The Athletic, the app and the website. We're so appreciative of all our subscribers who have followed along all year and leave such great comments. Uh, such kind words. We, we really do appreciate that. But again, if anybody uh, wants to sign up again, it's it's going to be you're going to want to follow along for these last eight weeks. It's going to be fascinating. Jordan's going to have some great coverage. So if you go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel, you can sign up for just one dollar per week. And, and, you know, not only get all of Jordan's great coverage, you get all of our great NFL coverage, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, soccer, motorsports, whatever you want. It's all there. So we'd love to have you aboard. One dollar per week, guys. I definitely am writing more than one piece a week. So <laughs> if you could part with one dollar per week by subscribing through theathletic.com slash 11 personnel, we would sure love to have you. Um, and we sure love having you guys with us every week. We'll catch you next week.